Hello and welcome back to More Than a Diabetic from Diabetics Doing Things. I'm Rob. I'm Eritrea. And we are about to tee up episode two. We're recording these intros live. So, or, you know, in real time, I suppose, before these episodes air. So we've already seen the response from episode one and have to give everybody a shout out for their support, for their participation, for all the excellent feedback. Uh, also, the new accounts that have followed us and have been commenting and sharing. Uh, nice to meet you. And I'm excited that you're along for the ride. So uh, again, like just listening to the commentary at large, I'd say like 99% positive uh, and yeah. really encouraging, uh, very cool. And I think again, episode one, a great episode for sort of the entire ecosphere, ecosystem. It talks a little bit about what we're going to talk about in episode two, which is the JDRF Juneteenth fiasco as we're calling it. So we have four women on the panel for episode two. Uh, we have Anita, Kylene, Kivia, and Tiana who were originally selected to be featured on the JDRF corporate uh, Instagram account over the Juneteenth holiday in summer 2020. For those of you who are insiders in the diabetes community, you will know that there was an outpouring of harassing, harassment and erasure and denial of experience and flat out racist comments on the posts from these women. And JDRF, for one reason or another, uh, sort of had the perfect storm of marketing faux pas and didn't have community managers uh, tasked to measure it, uh, didn't have the right escalation procedures, uh, and then just did a few things throughout that, uh, in hindsight, I think they wouldn't do again, like taking away the comments and things like that. So, um, why are we? digging up and picking at old wounds. Well, first of all, they aren't that old. And second of all, I think it's really important. I think the the cliche, you don't want history to repeat itself, has become overused, especially in these unprecedented times that we're living in. But I think it's really important for us to dig into the story from the people who experienced it so that we can walk a mile in their shoes on what it was like during those really uh, tumultuous, tense summer days. Uh, another thing I, I really want to focus on, and we don't often uh, have these sort of disclaimers, but occasionally, Diabetics Doing Things is an adult program. Most programs are accessible for people under the age of 18, but just general uh, disclaimer here, there is strong language used in this episode. It's an important topic, but under 18, if you're watching this and you're under 18 years old, you should watch with a parent because I think there are a parent or guardian because there's adult conversations, there's adult context and adult language that um, I think as a child, a person under 18, as a minor, you should have the guidance of an adult to help you filter through them. So I don't want to discourage anybody from listening to this. That's the opposite of what I'm trying to do. But I really believe that this episode is important and it's so important that I think you should watch with a, uh, a guardian of some kind. Uh, speaking of guardians, diabetics doing things typically does not get a lot of harassing comments uh, for one reason or another. Typically we're not that controversial, which I think is, I mean, yeah. yeah, we're, we're pretty good website. Like we're pretty safe. You know, we have, we talk to people about the amazing things that they're doing. Um, and Typically, they're overcoming obstacles and everybody is rah-rah, feel good. But for the first time, really, and that's why I said 99% earlier, we are getting about 1% of comments from troll accounts or burners or people who are a little bit more disconnected. 
trolling, harassing our participants and denying their experience. And let me tell you, if that's you and you're doing that, all you're doing is proving our point that it's so important that these stories be told, that these experiences not be erased, that the denial not be the number one response from white people on these on these types of conversations. So uh, allow yourself a chance to learn uh, before you pick up those Twitter fingers. Give your take a breath, take a beat. You do not want the smoke. Uh, I promise you. You don't. Uh, you and don't. you know, I, I, and I think all that to say. This is a safe space for all people, but not if you're not going to play nice, not if you're going to, um, you know, point fingers at other people and try to say that, uh, you know, deny their experiences and erase their struggles. Or be so, nasty or just be nasty. I think that if you have questions, you want to learn, you want to grow, this is definitely a place that you can do that. Send us a DM. I'm always happy to entertain someone with questions, but if you're just being ugly on the internet, because in the words of Chelsea Rice, you're feeling Facebook strong. That's, this is not the place for that. Uh, Diabetics Doing Things is about growing, about learning, about all of us just telling amazing stories. And these stories, while they may be traumatic and a little difficult to hear, are still in their own way, deserve to be told and deserve the spotlight that we're giving them. So I just hope everyone can try to be their best to be respectful of that. Because uh, as Black women, especially with this episode, those people, the people that are going to speak in this episode, their experience was denied, their experience was erased. So I hope that our listeners will allow them the space and the grace that they deserve as people in general. Space and grace, baby. I love it. Yeah. Uh, this was a tough one for me uh, because I love JDRF uh, and the opportunities that they've given me. They were there with, with my family. Uh, they've been throughout community events. I, you know, my ascent uh, to leadership in the diabetes community uh, for sure was on the shoulders of JDRF and the people at the chapters and at corporate that believed in me and put me on. Uh, I can, am continuing to work with them. This is part of that. Uh, again, we're not a racing experience. We're not afraid to say that we did something wrong. And I think that's where we're not quite ready to just move on yet. We need to hear the whole story. Uh, we want to have a space for these women to come on and be heard and be understood. And you know, I think that's where, you know, where I'm at with it. As I listen to this episode, I feel more strongly than ever that it must be heard and that, um, you know, my relationship with JDRF uh, is not in jeopardy because of that. So uh, I yeah, think- absolutely. Uh, I don't think, I think mostly what I want everyone to take from this episode is it's not about JDRF. It's about organizations as a whole. So if you are part of a nonprofit, if you participate in a nonprofit that, you know, obviously helps diabetics, look around you, who's being represented there, who's being talked about. So it's really about growing and learning, not just from JDRF, but literally any organization that takes the time to listen to this, be like, oh, wow, maybe that's something that when we have a campaign, we won't do. Things we'll be prepared for, et cetera, have a plan, whatever it may be. And I think too, understanding that you know, it's okay to go back, to look back and say, man, we should have done things differently. We should have been more inclusive. I do that on this platform. This is not a make good campaign, but what it is is a learning uh, from the feedback from people that I value and people who have followed along for many years. So again, it's never too late to start turning over uh, a new leaf and doing things the right way. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to the six of us recorded at the end of 2020. This is More Than a Diabetic, episode two. Welcome to More Than a Diabetic. This is a series 
that we're going to be going into prominent members of the community. We're going to be talking about your experiences as people with diabetes, and I'm super excited to dig into this today. So in the summer of 2020, uh, in the diabetes online community, there was uh, a series of posts put by put on social media by JDRF to celebrate the Juneteenth holiday. Uh, I think it's really important to remember the context. Uh, so years down the road, people may listen to this and be like, well, what was so significant? Um, we're in an election year. Uh, we are two and a half weeks um, since the tragedy in Minneapolis. The Black Lives Matter movement is front and center. Um, police violence and protests all over the country. Tensions are high. And JDRF uh, invited the four of you to share your stories. And I think there's already been, there's already a podcast uh, on Kyleen's podcast where you outline that experience. But for everyone here today, I want to start with your, you know, how did you get introduced to the situation? And I think also even a step further back, because I know, especially Anita and Kyleen, um, who have lived with diabetes for a little bit longer than the, the rest of the group, you've been introduced to JDRF before. And, the, and some of these conversations are not new. So let's start with Anita. Let's and just introduce yourself and um, when you were introduced to the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation. Um, so my name is Anita Nicole Brown. Uh, I celebrated 22 years with, you know, my child that won't ever go away. That's diabetes. Um, I celebrated it on November 12th. So very excited, very happy about that. And I'm not certain how I came across JDRF, to be honest. I can't 100% say how I found out about them, but somehow I ended up hearing about them. No, 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 I know how, uh, my husband. Um, so with um, the, the Chicago Cubs, I'm in Chicago, by the way. Um, one year, they every home run they hit, they donated $100 to JDRF. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Kiva Cheney. Um, I've had diabetes now, type 1 diabetes, two and a half years. Um, so I feel like I'm the baby of the crew. I don't know if anybody's been diagnosed, not, you know, what am I trying to say? Who's <laughs> been diagnosed, um, you know, after me, but I definitely feel like the baby of the crew. But um, I found out about JDRF maybe, when did I find out about it? It was like, Maybe in the first six months of me being diagnosed, I um, I wanted to like get involved. I didn't know anyone, you know, who necessarily had it as well. And I, I kind of felt just alone. So I started doing like Google searches and, you know, trying to find different things within the community, Atlanta and stuff like that. And then I came across their page and I saw they do like a walk. And I was like, oh, I want to get involved, you know, da, da. so actually the first year that I was diagnosed, I made a team, like, I think you like make a team for their walk, whatever. And I was going to like send it to everyone, have everyone donate, you know, all this, but it's crazy because it never went through. It's like, I can't remember what happened around the time it was supposed to happen, but it kind of just, as I can remember, it kind of just fell apart. It didn't happen. And I was very upset that it didn't happen. But, you know, as my mom always says, you know, everything happens for a reason. And, you know, me then, I'm like, no, I wanted to do the walk. But it's like, now I'm like, I'm glad I didn't get him a sense, nothing, you know what I'm saying? Walk nowhere for them. But, you know, yeah, but I found out through them from doing my own, like, research. So 
I actually found out about JDR two different ways, and it's kind of funny. So the first way was I met um, Lena. We were a part of T1 International, and she asked me, was I going to the walk? And I was like, eh, no, because walks and things like that is associated with work for me. So I was like, absolutely not. And of course, I'm at work, we're sitting in a meeting, and one of the endocrinologists is like, you should do this walk. And I was like, no, sir, I'm not doing it. It's not my turn. I'm good. Lena texted me and was like, no, we should go to the conference. And I was like, oh, all right, fine. So we went to the conference, we did the walk. Um, and then they kind of, the local chat, well, the DC side, not the Maryland side, because they're more toward Baltimore. And I live closer to DC. So then they kind of just started reaching out and then we just made it, I made a relationship with the DC chapter. I make, I want to point that out because they definitely have kept me afloat because if it wasn't for them, I would have been saying goodbye to JDRF. But I did the walk, I met Tiana and a couple of other people. I did it now, I did do a team. I won't be doing another one, but I did do a team. We raised some money. We talked and played and did everything else that you know everyone else does but um that was my interest like it was kind of work forced but it was cool and i was diagnosed in adulthood too so i would have definitely paid them no mind <laughs> so i found out about jdrf when i was diagnosed just like you um they were very present in my hospital and i just remember waking up one morning and they brought in like the bag of hope it had like some bears in it like a ton of books and at the time I was 17 years old it was like three months before my 18th birthday so technically I was like still considered a, like a kid um and that's really when I found out about JDRF and then I started doing like different events here in my community um with JDRF and I think you know we can get into this later but uh, for me, at least, I, I was able to meet hundreds of people in my community, and to me, that's what's important. JDRF is whatever, but, like, all of the connections and, like, the impact that I was able to make is what really mattered, so that's kind of how I met them. And a few of you have mentioned this already, is sort of the presence of JDRF for people with diabetes, because they've been around for 50 years, and community events for people with diabetes were sort of started by these individual chapters for people who are diagnosed at children's hospital in Dallas, which is a big children's medical center here. Um, they are, patients are able to go as part of their diabetes education to a class. It's like a full day of classes called diabetes 101. And at the end of the day, they teach you how to count carbs. They teach you about the sliding scale, um, I'm sure they teach you about meals and nutrition and things like that. And you meet with various doctors, but then at the end, JDRF comes in and up until a couple of years ago, uh, I would volunteer alongside JDRF and, and a number of other volunteers to be an adult with diabetes and talk to children and their parents who were diagnosed on that day. So I, you know, Kylie, when you mentioned like that DC chapter, keeping you afloat, um, for many of us, and I know Anita mentioned before we started recording her relationship with uh, JDRF Illinois, um, these local chapters really do connect us with other people for the first time, whether that's a walk or whether that's a type one nation. Um, it's, e it's easy to look back and say, well, Rob's like spoken all over the country at these JDRF events. Without JDRF Dallas um, putting me on, I wouldn't have that opportunity. 
I want to talk a little bit about when they reached out to you guys. Obviously, you're very aware of the context. It was it was not that long ago. Um, and there's so many different issues going on, not only in the diabetes community, like right at that time, but in the black community at that time, and just in America in general. So what was that like? What was, who wants to, who wants to kind of dig into that first response, that first reaction that you got when you saw that email or that Instagram message come into your inbox? For me, it, this was actually the second time JDRF had reached out to me because, or third, I don't know. It, it's, I don't know. Um, because one of the times was on their Instagram page and they shared things about me and everything. Another time they reached out, it was about the T1D champions little thing that they have on their Facebook page. And they reached out to me for that. So I didn't have a problem with that. And then they reached out and they inquired about, you know, for, it wasn't necessarily just Juneteenth. They stated that they wanted to amplify the black voices in their type one community. So I was just like, okay, cool. How do you guys plan on doing that? What are you gonna do? Well, we're just gonna have you answer a couple of questions, blah, 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 and all of this and everything. So I was like, all right, cool. I, sure, let's let's see how this goes, you know? Um, those of you that follow me, I had already posted about the BS of, we wanna amplify black voices and blah, blah, blah. I had already said, look, don't make me be right and y'all just doing this shit so you don't look bad. I had already been done posted that before JDRF reached out to me. I was talking about every organization. Don't come to us saying you wanna help us and then you're just doing it so you look good. I said, prove me wrong. Show me that's not what you're trying to do. So when JDRF reached out, I was like, oh my God, maybe, maybe, maybe they're trying to do some stuff. Awesome. Let's see how this goes. And then we all saw what happened. And <laughs> I think, I think what upset me the most was if I had known it was going to be on Juneteenth, I probably would have told them no. And the reason why is because Juneteenth is, it's a black holiday you guys have not included us have not spoken to us have not made us a part of your organization and your dream and your goal so why the fuck you gonna try and profit off of juneteenth which is something for us if they had told me that i would have said oh hell no y'all need to go somewhere else with that shit i'm not gonna be a part of that but they didn't mention that of when they were going to give that information out so, so let me ask you they said that i would have said no let me ask you this then because i know you like I remember I can see the photo in my mind's eye like with the you had the blue background and you had your Omnipod you had been featured on this account before you yep. and like and so you were familiar with sort of how this was going about I, obviously I assume a, a, a different person was reaching out to you this time but you had been down this road before mm -hmm. so I wasn't like it wasn't I mean Initially, I'm all about raising awareness and things like that. You know, my awareness raising is weird as hell because I, me and diabetes, we got to, sometimes we have a little bit of a negative relationship, but I try my best to keep our relationship positive. So <laughs> I do everything possible to share the positivity that comes with being a type one than I do to promote the negative aspect because trust me, the whole world done that 10 times over. I'm getting sick and tired of seeing it. So <laughs> I'm doing it from a different standpoint. So when they were talking about that, and especially with the T1D champions and stuff like that, I was like, yes, this is the positive that I would appreciate 
being associated with diabetes instead of, oh my God, you got the bad kind. Oh my God, you're going to die. Oh my God, you can't eat that. Like, I'm so tired of that shit. So I was hoping, you know, when they did this, I was like, okay, so they're going to be a little more inclusive. Personally, there are so many diabetics of color all over the place. Like, I thought they were going to have like a shitload of us. Like, you could spend the whole day sharing a story, literally. 24 hours and share a story from every single person of color in the type one diabetic community. I thought that was how it was going to be done. And nope, it wasn't. Mm -mm, not at all. No way. So I have a question since, so since you were on there before and then the, cause to me, this specific Juneteenth thing that happened with you guys felt very, you know, worst. the, the time that you were on there before was it, was their commentary always no. that, Hey, like, why are you showing black people? Or no. do you guys feel like the way that this was captioned created that type of reaction? I think it was because of the fact that it was Juneteenth. And it and was also, and they were talking about, you know, the black stories and things like that. And like I said, had they said when they were gonna share it and stuff like that, I would have told them no. I would have said, you guys can share my story after. Like, you're not going to get the, no, you're not going to benefit and profit and make yourselves look good because you're trying to, no, this had nothing to do with you or your race. Juneteenth did not mean something to you. So it makes no sense for you to try and piggyback on this and say, hey, we're going to put some black people out there. So we I mean, no, like, no, piggyback on black people. Yeah, no. Kylie, like, going to say they, something. I actually want to hear what she has to say because I, I can see her face and I just... I'm glad you asked yeah, I, was gonna, like, I was gonna ask her too. I was like, I, I need to know. Because I always have the unpopular opinion, right? Always, everywhere. So one, in my email, they definitely told me that they were gonna release it Juneteenth. That they said, because I then asked them, my, re my response to them was, is it everybody that day? Are you rolling out a person per day? And they told me a person per day. Cool. I personally did not have a problem with it being on Juneteenth because we ask for diversity. Start on a day that means something to us is how I saw it. Now, did it go like that? Absolutely not. But for me, how I saw it was we've been asking, we tag them and everything. We call them out. We talk about them. We do all of the above. So, all right. You want to roll it out on a day that means that is very important to black people? Cool, let's do this because you're starting with black people. It's not like you're rolling it out with some other person of color or something else. You're rolling it out with black people. Fine, cool. My issue with them was they stopped. So after Anita went first, it was myself, then Kevia. They stopped after that. They never published Tiana's and no one else that they reached out to got published. I have a problem with that. You let them win. So not only did they drag us for the for the gods, because Kiva and I got dragged through all of the mud and back. It I was like they know. Were, hold on, wait. I didn't know specifically Kivia. I didn't know and, it was people than us. I thought it was just us three. No, it wasn't. It was a lot. What? It was more people. They definitely they had more. So more people. People were DMing me like, I don't want them to say nothing about me. Like, they asked me to share my story. I'm good on that. 
they dragged us for the gods. When I first saw Anita's, I was like, yes, okay, cool. And it was like, as soon as they posted my story, the comments started rolling in. They posted Kivas, they started rolling in. And it was like, oh, now they wanted to go back and leave all this negative trash on Anita's. But then y'all stopped. So y'all let them win. That was, not only did y'all hang us to dry, cool, because we had to call y'all out so you could come and say something to us, fine. But you let them win because you stopped. So now you don't want to show, right. huh? They don't mean what they said. Because I, I didn't even know it was more people than us. Yeah, I, it, they it was to be a lot. Because weren't they supposed campaign. to do it for the whole, the rest of the month of June? Yeah. They had planned to do it for the whole fucking campaign. month of June. Yep. And they yeah. did three people. Let they them be for And I guess it was too much bad, bad publicity for them. So they just decided to stop. Yep. So they stopped for the bad publicity wasn't the only reason why they stopped. People were telling them, I don't know. Don't put me there. And I honestly cannot blame people for yeah, saying, I, I, I don't want no Because you, they, they didn't say anything when the people were dragging us. So what I look like, letting you post me and then letting them go haywire in the comments and you say nothing? Yep, because no. I immediately, as soon as they started dragging us for the world, I immediately reached out to one of my homegirls whose daughter is type one. Because I told, the, and the email that I got, they asked me, was there anyone else that I thought should be a part of this? And I was like, of course, my little sister, we did the walk together, right? So I'm like, yeah, she a black girl, put her on. I immediately texted them, like, did they reach out to you? And if so, tell them, don't put her up there. I'm an adult, I can fight mine, but you're not about to play with a child. Not kids, kids off limits. Kids are all the way off limits, right? Like, I might have to fight you. I was quiet for mine, and you know they would but have. I won't be quiet <laughs> for And you know they would care. have. They didn't care. Cause they don't, they didn't care. And like Anita, I have been on other JDRF posts, not headquarters, but for our local chapter. I've been on their posts multiple times. But the the issue that people had was they said, we're sharing stories of Black women that turned it up. When they put a post up and it was, oh, this is her support system. These are, they're doing this walk. Oh, everybody was great. No one had anything negative to say. Like, we love that your family support you and whatever else they wanted to say. Those words, a black diabetic woman set the, set the world on fire. Like they were loose with those words. They could have done a better job for sure. And they, they could have shared all the questions. Yeah, and, yeah. and they they all the that was question tailored to make it don't don't ask me to see and then you take my words and try to make it to be what you want it to be that ain't what i said and i said what i said so i'm gonna need you to put it exactly that what part yeah so, so i can read y'all the email that i sent to them and then see what they posted they dumbed it all down i yeah, posted they took my whole out. email I, you asked me for my story and then you try to like tailor it like how does that work so that was one of the things going through this process, um, asking those questions to really myself is like, okay, am I comfortable with, I've got, I've got to, the only way to do this is to do it authentically and to do and let you bring everybody together and say, we are going to talk about this, about what's wrong with this, what needs to change and what the experience was. And so at that point, it's like, okay, 
I, I mean, I'll, I'll say it here. I am a JDRF Dallas board member. I am on multiple committees uh, for JDRF, national JDRF. I speak at all the conferences. I am vested with them, which gives me more, I'm more compelled to do this because of that. Because when people look at JDRF, they're like, oh, well, Rob works with JDRF, so he must sign off on this. This is the story. So uh, we're here to hear your experience. And I think the erasure of experience is a huge part of the problem with um, with the posts. So uh, Kiva, you were you were starting to talk about your experience. So let's let's hear it. Well, initially, um, I can't remember correctly. I tried to erase it from my memory a little bit, a little bit. But I think I received a DM first and I told them to email, um, hit the email button to talk to my team or whatever. And we got the email, went through it, and it was just, I, you know, I'm going to read it to y'all what it said. It goes here. Hi, Kiva. Hope you're having a nice week. I wanted to reach out because as I mentioned in our Instagram DMs, JDRF really wants to start amplifying Black voices within the T1D community, which candidly isn't something we've always been the greatest at. In recognizing Juneteenth tomorrow on our social platforms, we want to share the stories of several Black influencers within the T1D community, their unique experiences, etc. If you'd be comfortable, we'd love for you to send a photo and answer to the following questions. Anything else you'd like to share? The first question was, how long have you lived with type 1 diabetes? The second one was, what do you wish people knew about what it's like to be a Black person living with T1D? Three was, what would you like to see JDRF do to make sure all members of the T1D community feel inclusive, inclusivity and support within JDRF? Don't hesitate to reach out with any questions. Thank you again for being open to working with us on this. So that was the email that I received. And my response back was, oh, I would love to, you know, like, especially like um, Kylie said, this is something that we've been asking for, something that, you know, we want to see more of. So it's like, okay, I can't wait to be a part of this. And then it was just like, when I saw my post, the first thing I said was, that's not what I said, you know? And this was before the comments. So this was like immediately when I saw it and I was like, hmm. And I kind of said something, I think I was a little too passive about it because I didn't immediately go to them and say anything. I said something probably after everything went crazy, but it was just like, I just was like, okay, whatever. I had so much going on myself too. I just, I don't have time to, you know? So I kind of just brushed it off. But when I woke up the next day and I saw all those comments and I was getting DMs, it was just like, what just happened to my Instagram? Like, and you know, I, I like to look at it as this too. My shop sold out within that weekend. That, yes. that you know what I'm saying? So yes. I was like, I can't tell y'all on this podcast exactly what I said, but I was just like, somebody can call me whatever they want to call me again. Like, cause at the end of the day, y'all feel in my pocket. So thank you. I appreciate it. But then that it was like, okay. It was the just gear like, is cute, girl. The gear, the gear is cute. Diva Y'all go get it. <laughs> but um, no, I was just like, I think I was in shock more than anything. And then what got me, I think the worst part about it all was they didn't say anything. And then it was like, y'all still posting on y'all stories. So obviously y'all are on Instagram. Y'all are aware of what's going on. Then it's like, we have to make posts, tagging people, harassing y'all. I didn't ask nobody to do nothing, but. You know, when people support you and they rock with you, you ain't got to ask and do nothing. These people was messaging, tagging them, cussing them out. And I'm like just sitting back watching like, dang, I thought they were talking to me, not them. But, you know, it was just like, I think I was just taking it all in. And 
eventually I got a message from Aaron and it was like to my DM. And I was like, huh? I'm, and all I'm thinking is this, don't apologize to me in private when the disrespect was very public on your organization. You came to us and asked us. We didn't come to you. You came to us and asked us to do something which was more of a favor really for you guys because it wasn't beneficial for us in any way besides my shop too. Now, thank y'all. Y'all keep shop too. But um, you came to us and then it was like y'all just sat back and then it was like the, co the first comment that I did see under my post at least, they responded on some... I just want to keep the peace, but I'm not going to tell this person, this catfish Billy, they wrong for saying black people don't experience medical racism or systematic, like saying all these type of things. But it's just like, I'm a public health major as well. So I was like, for you to really think like this is, and it's like, do your own research. What I'm saying, fine, don't, don't believe me, don't listen to it, but there are plenty of books, articles, like you can do your own research. You just out talking out the side of your neck and not talking about anything that you really actually know. So I was just like, in my head, I'm like, Aaron, do you believe this too? Like, is this how you feel? Cause that's how I took it. I'm like, this must be exactly how y'all feel. Cause y'all ain't saying nothing. And silence speaks very loudly. So it was just like, it got to the point where I was like, you know, I'm gonna make a little video and, and try to, you know, say it in the best way that I can say it. And it was just like, everybody, and I, at first I was like, maybe I'm overreacting because I feel like as black women or black people in general, we are supposed to normalize that type of behavior because that's what we're used to or that's what's been going on since the beginning of time and da, da, da. So that's supposed to be normal to us, letting people just attack us and, you know, we just move on. No, I had to say something, you know, I had to say something. And then it was like my sisters, my, you know, my whole support system start coming on there chiming in as well. And my sister's actually in med school right now. She was on there educating people too, like just trying to tell them instead of me arguing, going back and forth with you, cussing you out, let me at least tell you something that you obviously don't know. And let me give you the tools to go do your own research because you look very ignorant, just saying whatever. And it's just like, you hitting below the belt for what? What do we do so wrong? Whereas you calling people defending us Karens and you calling people saying, well, if you want to be them so bad, you should put your house up for sale and move to their neighborhood. I or don't leave out and find a new doctor because I got a lot of those. Oh, I got a lot of those. Find a new doctor. I got a whole yeah. lot of you need to find a new doctor. Mm -hmm. Undermine. And it's just like, and I literally was just talking about this the other night. And sometimes it makes me emotional a little bit. Like, I ain't going to sit on here and cry, y'all. But I'm saying, like, it may, it may <laughs> don't be. Don't cry. We'll all cry. <laughs> right. We'll be all on here. Like, <laughs> I ugly cry, so y'all don't want to see that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I do not want to see a white man cry. Please, God. Oh, save me. God. Save me. <laughs> we, we are not shedding no more tears over this. Yeah, no. They I, don't get to. No. No my more tears. There ain't nothing tear. Cause like you said something that I just said to my sister that will that my sister said to me the other day. Because for the record, I don't discuss this JDRF thing. Like after you I really did my podcast, I was like, really I don't I don't talk about it. Don't ask me about it. What did you but say, Colleen? Uh, listen don't to my ask podcast. Don't talk about it. Don't talk, yeah. over here no more. Yep. I, so I don't talk about it. But you know, when you hit me up, I was like got you but i don't talk about it but my sister said the same thing that you said it did one thing sold my store out i appreciate you so while they sitting over there telling us we stupid and we need new doctors and whatever else we need their sisters and uncles and brothers and everybody else was over there making those purchases and okay. i appreciate them for that 
So if they didn't do anything else, they brought us customers. Right. You brought me what I really wanted because I don't care about no little Instagram caption. I care about them pockets, okay? I care about the bag. I don't care about, oh, hey, let me see this or hey, do that. No, that, that's not going to pay for this insulin, for one. Pay for this new doctor. Pay for their neighborhood. That ain't going to do none of that. You know what I'm saying? So it's just like, thank you in that sense. But literally like the other day I was talking about how it was when I was first diagnosed and I think that was the first time when I really realized how black people can be dismissed so easily too. And I was told that I had anxiety and depression disorder a week after, I gra- after my graduation. And I was just like, life is great. You know, I travel often, you know, I have no kids. I didn't have really any bills then. Like I had not one worry like in the world. So for someone to just be like, oh, you um, need this medication and you need to go see a therapist. And I just, and to the day, my mom was like upset. She was like, I knew I should have came back there with you. Like this was a different type of visit, but she kind of was trying to let me be a grown up. I had just turned 22. So, and I'm just sitting there telling her, keep kind of interrupting her like, hey, no, like that's not what's going on. Like, I'm like, do you see my mouth? I had to rush all like all in the inside of my mouth, on my tongue. Like, it was so nasty where I didn't even want to show her. I'm at the doctor and didn't want to show her. So, and me being the type of person I am, I had already kind of started researching different things and not being educated. I didn't know that someone, there was a thing as a juvenile diabetes. I thought, you know, like most people thought it had to be someone older, overweight, you know, all that. So in my head, I'm like, oh, dang, it can't be that. So I immediately scratched that out. And it's the first bullet point said uncontrolled diabetes. So then it said STD, cancer. And I was like, oh, child, that's why they say you don't Google nothing. So I just told her that I was like, this isn't normal. I'm a healthy kid. You know what I'm saying? Like, I've never been in the doctor's office. I go for physicals. Like, something is wrong with me. And I'm like, I don't know what it is. I'm like, I've literally was 142 pounds December that year. And that June, I got on that scale at my doctor's office. I was 112 pounds. I'm like, you gonna have to tell me before I leave today what's wrong with me. And she was like, well, we'll just prescribe you some um, thrush. I think it's not thrush. What is it? called it's like a swish wash it's some type of um mouthwash they give you when you have that it breaks it down and makes it disappear whatever they prescribed that and then she was like here's the um the prescription for the medication I don't remember what is the what's whatever you take when you got anxiety and depression it was that and she was like and gave me a number to go see a therapist and before I was through my cousin I'm like listen can you just send me to the lab? Because I know, I don't know nothing about medical health, all that type of stuff, but I do know that when you go get blood work, they gonna tell you if something is like wrong because you could, you know, there's something you're missing. It's an underlying issue. And she was like, it was kind of just like, okay, fine. Well, I'll just write at the lab. You go up there and go get it. It was just like, go for my own peace of mind, basically. She didn't really care. So I went and then when I got that call, it was just like, I felt like just, I was going to pass out because I was like, I'm so glad that I pressed for myself. And it wasn't just like, well, she brushed it off and she's the doctor. So she knows what she's talking about and carried on. I could have died, you know? And I just constantly, I was thinking about that. Like somebody really was praying for me or something because I already couldn't see. And literally today I was going through my notes and I was just like, oh my God, the notes that I was writing during that time in my phone, like I had to use a magnifying glass because I couldn't see. I had to write everything literally down because I just, I was so discombobulated. I wasn't myself. And it was just like me writing down things here, try eating foods to make you gain weight. Like I was trying everything, not knowing that it was something like diabetes, you know? So it was like, I just kept going so hard for myself because I knew something was wrong. 
So it's like, yes, we are always like constantly being dismissed. And I don't even like to throw the race card like that because, you know, I mix with a whole lot of stuff too. You know, our family, it, it has nothing to do with that, but it, it's the facts are the facts. You know what I'm saying? And all white people aren't racist and, you know, it's all that type of thing too. But it's mm-hmm. like, you have to understand that a lot of people are still stuck in that same time frame from over yonder. Like they ain't moved on and came over here to this side yet. So, you know, a lot of people, I think I really feel like they feel uncomfortable when talking to us or they don't know how to relate to us. So it's just automatically, boom, the, the, the race flag gets thrown. But I ended up switching doctors right after that because I went in the office looking for the lady. Like I was like, where's she at? Like, I, I need to talk to her because you told me this and I told you so, but I was pissed. And then I got a black doctor. That lady walked in, didn't introduce herself and she said, oh, this is full-blown diabetes. She said, okay, this is what we're going to do. Like, it was just going on the list. And I'm just sitting there like, wait, what? Like, it was just crazy. And it's like for people to think that that doesn't happen a lot, especially maternal health too. Like, this mm-hmm. is a huge issue. Like, medical racism is very real. You look at my insurance and it's like, I live on 30 acres in a very nice home. But I, the insurance that I had was probably not the best insurance or whatever. You know, it's probably the one I had, like, I can't remember what it was, but they say it's the, the, the bottom of the whatever. It wasn't a Blue Cross Blue Shield. And they looked at that like, oh, well, she only got no insurance anyway. She only paying this much. Blah, blah, blah. So it's like, you're canceled immediately. But it's like, you don't know what I can pay for. So it doesn't, it honestly doesn't matter if you are privileged or not privileged. They don't see any of that. I was misdiagnosed where I work. And, and I want to, I want to focus on this as well, because I think there is a face value that we've got like judgment at face value that I want to get to. Uh, Anita, you have your hand up. Um, And then I also want to make sure that we get to Tiana, because I think the dismissal um, of women and black women especially is, is very appropriate because like her story was not shared. Right. So, uh, Anita, you're, I believe, oh yeah, you're no longer on mute. So you're good. Okay. So mine was like, this was interesting for me. So when I was trying to get the insulin pump, like my, um, my pediatrician diagnosed me, Dr. Yanag. Um, so he diagnosed me and everything and stuff like that. And it's been pretty okay since then, but my, you guys know my A1Cs were almost at 30 when I got diagnosed. So I, oh yeah, I should have been dead. So it took years to bring them down to normal. And me and my, as soon as I hit 18, I had to find another doctor. So my new primary Dr. Fabros has been my doctor since I hit 18 and I'm 39 now. So she's been with me for this whole journey. I was also diagnosed at 17. So It wasn't until I got, I lost my, no, I lost the second child that I had an OB-GYN and uh, her name is Dr. Bajia. Again, female doctors, Dr. Bajia, Dr. Fabros, they're all ethnic, you know, they're all of color. And we're all trying to figure out, okay, we got to get Anita's diabetes under control. Now I had gotten it from 28 all the way down to 15 okay but it still wasn't under control like we were still trying to get it under control now i did have an endo his name was dr russo he is a white male 
and where he's just like, well, you know, you just need to do this. You need to do this. You need to do this. You need to do this. And me and my primary and my ob gyne we're working hard to get it done. Finally, my ob gyne came at me after like the second or third miscarriage. And she was like, have you ever heard of an insulin pump? And I'm like, the fuck is an insulin pump? And she was like, well, okay. So this is what I found out because she's trying to figure out how to help me. She came across an insulin pump. She passed information to my primary. My primary started looking up. She was, oh my God, where did this come from? So then she refers me to my endo. My endo's words were, the insulin pump ain't for nobody but lazy diabetics who don't know what to do to control their diabetes. And that's not okay. And I'm sitting up here like, so you knew what an insulin pump was. Of my whole care team, you're the only motherfucker who knew what an insulin pump was and you didn't think to mention it to me one goddamn time, not once. And here, my, my other doctors, they're women of color, they didn't know. They weren't informed about it, they weren't educated about it, but they have a diabetic who's fighting to get her diabetes under control. So they're doing the work to figure out how to help me. And my primaries, please, my, my endo, I can't get no prescription unless my primary authorizes it. So she was like, we gonna get this insulin pump thing set up. And she fought with me to get my insulin pump. And then six months after I was on the insulin pump, my A1Cs came from 13 to 10. And he was just like, well, what are you doing differently? And I was like, I'm on an insulin pump. And like the look on his face was like, oh, really? And I'm just sitting up here like, dude, what the fuck? Like, what is with you and this insulin pump shit? And then six months later, when my A1Cs finally got down to eight, he was just like, so um, like, like how, do, how does the uh, insulin pump work? And I had to explain to him, it's taught me to learn about what I'm eating. I can't just say I'm going to eat and give myself this much insulin. No, I have to say I'm going to eat this much in carbohydrates. My insulin pump is going to give me the right amount to counter what I'm eating based on what my glucose levels are already sitting at and everything. And he's just sitting up here like, wait, wait, you, you learned all that from an insulin pump? I said, yeah, amazing, isn't it? And literally, I had stopped going to see him, but then we went to see him because the uh, endo we, I was seeing, she had to transfer. And then he goes, so I guess I should start listening to my patients when, when they start talking about an insulin pump, huh? And I'm sitting up here like, dude, I swear to God, I'd beat your ass if it wouldn't put me in jail right now. Like, I would kick your ass. But it took my women of color doctors to inform themselves of how to help their black female diabetic patient. And here I had an endocrinologist, a white male who knew what the hell insulin pumps were, what they can do, how they can help and everything. And this motherfucker didn't say shit to me. Tiana, let's go kind of back to the beginning for you. You're seeing all of this unfold. Like you, you are a person who is on the internet. So you're seeing all this happen. Um, you know that you have submitted to be a part of this campaign what's going through your mind yeah i mean originally when i first got the email they hit me up on instagram i got a dm first and then an email and i think it was similar to everyone else's email um but i was just kind of drawn back by how straightforward they were about like let me hear your story about like being a black person with diabetes right because uh, I've been sharing my story on like my platforms, not anything like crazy. I just was involved in this community online like last year. Um, 
but they never had asked me just to hear my story as a person living with diabetes. It was the first time I had that interaction. Let me hear your black story about, you know, living with type one. And so I actually took like about a day and a half maybe to reply. Um, and I sat down and I thought it through. I asked my mom, I was like, mom, you think I should even like submit this? Like, I don't know. I've never been like blatantly asked to do something like this before. And she was like, yeah, I don't see why not. Like you've done tons of work with JDRF, you know, in the past, right? So they have to have good intent behind it. And so um, I sat down, it took me like two hours to just write out my whole thing. I'm trying to think like, I live in Colorado. I honestly haven't met any other black people with diabetes except for Kylie. And like, I don't even know what's different between my story and like the, all the white kids that I help, right? I don't know. Um, and so for me, like, you know, there's a lot of things that I've gone through and that I internalize. I don't, you know, express it online or whatever, but um, yeah, I was just looking through their comments and I was like, well, dang, you know, at first I'm thinking, should they post mine? Are they going to still post it? I don't know. I'm just waiting around to hear something. And, you know, the days go by still I don't hear anything and I was kind of thrown off I was like okay well you know I'm just gonna post it myself then like and that's what I did I just posted it on my own story because then I felt disrespected I was like I sat down I took two hours out of my day to write this story and then I saw those comments on their accounts and then I was like and then you're not even gonna post my story so I posted on my own Instagram and immediately after that like my DMs were like flooded with so many different organizations like hitting me up like can you hop on my panel and talk about you know diversity and inclusion and I was like uh sure but also like you know where was this before like why are y'all coming out of the woodworks and then if I do hop on here I don't mind helping people if you're genuinely trying to learn but when I do hop on here and take my time to like share with you I want to make sure that you're doing this with good intentions and that you're actually planning to like carry out in two months, in two years. I don't wanna see like nothing from it. So I think more so uh, my experience with it was just like seeing what happened with them, feeling like not just me, but everybody else, all the little girls that I helped that look like me, you know, they, they're looking at us and they're like, well, dang, like I don't wanna share my story anymore because I don't want people to like attack me. And I was like, no, we're sharing our stories. So I still posted mine. And then Beyond Type 1 posted it like two weeks later and they posted on Facebook and I was looking through the comments at first, there was the same exact stuff, probably like three, 400 comments and they were just going in. And the difference is like, we had like a plan. So our team like, you know, wrote out, responses before they posted so that when people did reply with some crazy stuff like they knew exactly what to say back and didn't let anything like slip right so I think that was their biggest like fault with the whole thing was just not being prepared for backlash so that actually first of all thank you for sharing I think you know the the DNI and like I even connected you with somebody today who I'm sure is going to ask you to be on a panel about DNI. Um, so, you know, I think that will continue for all of you. I'm sure, uh, especially in the diabetes world. Um, 
for me, so I, I want to just share just my perspective on the entire weekend. Um, I like all of JDRF's posts. I've been, you know, so I get them first in my algorithm. So when they post it, I'm opening my phone every 30 minutes. There were no comments on them, no likes, whatever. I liked it, moved on. And then like Sunday night, I start to see some of the community members like sharing in their stories, like what is going on? JDRF, I think Kylene, I saw yours first. It was like JDRF, you haven't issued a response. You haven't responded to any of this stuff. And, and so I went in and I looked and I, and I found these people making these really ignorant, hateful comments. And I think the mission of this entire thing was to amplify black voices and protect black women, uh, which I think is something that you all also have mentioned today is so important in believing black women, uh, even just that, you know, doctors believing you, um, just they left you hanging out to dry. And I think as a marketing professional, I don't know what the, I, I know and I can, I can empathize a little bit with them just like moving fast and not understanding what people were going to say, but also they have a responsibility to put, like Tiana mentioned about Beyond Type 1, hey, people are going to comment about this. We need to have a response to the following things that people say. Uh, Kiva, your sister, I went back and checked the comments today. She was doing some educating and she had some links and some places to start because it's also not your responsibility as black women and black people with diabetes to educate everybody on medical racism. You are not medical racism experts at face value. It's not your responsibility to bring me up to understand these things, especially when you're the one giving of yourself and telling the story. So again, I go in there and all three of these posts, it's Sunday night at like 8 PM and I shared it and I, I tagged, um, I sneak tagged a couple people because you know, I like when you, uh, when you put their at and you make it the same color as the background, nobody else can see that they're in there. So I sent it to a few people whose names have been mentioned already. And, um, just to make sure that they saw it. And what I learned from that was that was the first, uh, anybody had heard of it internally. Um, and that, I think, was the the biggest failure. Uh, was it at, you know, moving too quickly? I think, Kiva, you mentioned they gave you like a day to respond before Juneteenth. Uh, clearly, this was a last minute, um, kind of hastily thrown together program. I want to get into I, the questions. Go ahead. Go I ahead, Anita. my information almost like five days, five days to a week before I was approached. So it wasn't last minute. Like, well, I don't want them to get away with that bullshit. But they that is last minute. But that I, is I would argue minute. that that is last minute. That is very for in, me in in corporate America. That's last minute. That is very I, last minute in corporate America. I'm telling you, I work in healthcare and I work in project management. We don't do anything a week. That's last minute. Maybe, maybe uh, for that. I but know. I worked for Black Enterprise Magazine. I was the head of the office and everything. That shit is not last minute. You got seven days to a week to implement something that you've been working on previously. This did not happen that week. They knew what the fuck they were doing. They knew who they wanted to reach out to. They knew who they wanted to talk to, share the stories and do shit like that. This was not a last minute program. I don't care I, what I they want to say, either. how they want to say it. It wasn't last minute. I'm going to go ahead and agree with her there because I feel like if they had enough time and also just to kind of not just piggyback on what everybody's saying, but I definitely want to say something, okay? Because that I feel that needs to be said. I agree with Anita with the fact that what she said kind of at the beginning about if she would have known it was for Juneteenth, she wouldn't have allowed them to post because personally, and Rob knows how I feel about it, I thought the whole thing was pandering. 
the entire thing from jump. Uh, it's popular to amplify black people right now. It is cool and inclusive to put us on your grid and then do nothing else after that. There is no action behind the work that we do because like Tiana mentioned, she sat down for two hours and bared her soul to the internet and then was still dismissed by this organization built by white people. So ultimately they thought about what they were gonna do, but then they put no thought into it. And then they discarded the emotions and feelings of black women and then absolutely threw us away. Like put us in a package and we're like, this is no longer marketable, and goodbye. And to hide the comments too. That was something that I was also gonna say because they went back and forth. Like there was bad comments and then we all came in there guns a-blazing because everybody here knows that we're all, we're connected. As black people, we are a community. And if you're gonna come for one of us, you're gonna come for all of us. And we jumped into those comments and we're not about that life. And then they deleted the comments. They turned so, them off. Yeah, turned them off. Turned them off. They, hit they them. turned them off. And, and see, I think with the other, and I think with the other issue is, it was a lot of backstage conversations because I reached out to Aaron via Twitter and everybody started retweeting my tweets to him, which then slid into his DM. Then he started sending us messages. But I and I don't know if it's because of the relationship that I have with my local chapter. They said something to me about turning the comments off because they felt like they didn't want the people to offend us anymore. And my response to them was turn the shit back on. Let them see what they turn say. it back on because you're turning it off, but it's way too many people defending us. So turn them back on. It's also it's also almost gaslighting. Like it really takes the conversation and spotlight away from us as black people that we are constantly under criticism. If we do not behave a certain way, criticize. Mm -hmm. If our hair doesn't look a certain way, criticize. If we react the wrong way to bad things that happen to us, somehow it's our fault. And it not to tie, I wanna tie this into the medical racism that you were talking about, because it seems like it's this inherent belief that we as black people were meant to suffer. Yeah, hell no. And that if we do suffer, that's normal and we should just get over it. And that's a ridiculous concept. So the things that everybody said here, I also want to thank you guys so much because I know it was really, really painful to bring up. Um, and so that's all I had to say, but I just wanted to say I, that. I told Aaron, I said one of the things like when he first, like I got on the call with him almost like right after this shit happened. And like, you can ask my husband, like my husband was tweeting me from the, or uh, texting me from the other room, like, Anita, damn, you just going in on him. But I went off on him. I told him, I said, this is completely and totally uncalled for. I have my master's in marketing. So don't tell me you ain't know what the fuck you were doing. I don't want to hear that shit because I've been doing this. I've done this before. I know how it should have been done. I said, number two, for you guys to actually claim you didn't know what was being said is fucking bullshit because whoever handles that account got a notification every goddamn time somebody said something. So whoever was handling that account was not handling that account. I said, another thing, why were we not tagged? I said, because y'all want to use our stories, share our stories, promote our stories, but y'all didn't tag us in either one of the photos you put up about us. This was about us, not about you, about us. You didn't even see fit to tag us. So that way we didn't get surprised by the thousands of comments that were left later. 
Like, no, you guys knew what the fuck you were doing and you failed. You didn't do shit about it. And Aaron was like, well, you know, I haven't talked to the marketing team. I was like, whatever. I don't want to hear that shit because you should have had something in place. You chose not to. And I, well, said, and I, said that nothing. I think the silence from uh, and lack of corporate response was, I mean, I, I could teach 10 semesters in a row of what not to do in a crisis communications uh, situation based on this alone, but uh, turning off the comments, uh, turning them back on, not issuing a corporate response, and almost a week going by before the, the videos in response were published. These are not difficult decisions to make in a war room. It didn't feel genuine at all. It was like, but why? I don't feel read off the screen. It was like, I don't even want to watch this mess. Like, it's not genuine. It's not authentic. It, let me write a little statement just so we, and it didn't cover nothing that needed to be said. You trying to brush over the, your little community because people tell me they're going to stop donating. They didn't unfollow y'all and all this stuff. You worried about yourself. It's still screw them because you didn't but, say nothing that should have been said. And Kyleen, like, I get it. They said they felt like we were being offended. I don't think that's why they hid those comments. They hid those comments because they didn't want to show the racist thoughts and processes that were funding and promoting them. That was the real reason why they hid those comments, in my opinion. It didn't have shit to do with us. I when agree. people started they, seeing they the racism that was funding them. Something. They had so, again, I can't, the easy way out. I can't speak for, I can only speak for myself, right? Right. And I will say this. The DC chapter went to bet for me. Went to bet. They reached out to me before Aaron did. D Maryland slid. I don't have no dealings with the, Mar with the Maryland chapter. They slid in my email, not no DM. These are people that, and not to Black Diabetic Girl, they emailed my personal email. That's the relationship that we have. They slid in my DM, I mean, my emails, pissed off about what happened. And the only reason why I mentioned that they turned the comments off is because she said it to me. They didn't even know that this was happening. The local chapters did not know that headquarters was doing this. They were very offended. And I, again, I can only speak for my chapter because I don't know how nobody else's chapter moves or what they do. But my local chapter reached out to me immediately and it wasn't what happened. They didn't say what happened. They said to me, are you okay? Are you okay is what Carrie said to me. Are you okay? And my reply was, hell no. And then we got on a call immediately. They, I talked to my local chapter way before Aaron sent a DM, a video, or anything. My local chapter was down for me. And she said, when we immediately reached out to them like, what y'all doing? What is this? What's going on? How y'all doing this? And y'all not even, we don't even know about it. These are people that represent us. These are the people that sit on our panels. Because I sit on JDRF panels in DC. I'm a part of their diversity board now. So they don't want to ruin that relationship, which is why she mentioned the comments to me. I, whatever they might have wanted to sugarcoat on their end, cool. I get it. I know both sides of the world. I work in corporate America. So I know the games and the politics that come with it. I'm also a black woman and I'm hip to the foolishness that you want to play with me. 
Do I think that they really turned the comments off because they were naive as hell? Absolutely. They ain't know what they was doing. You got one person running your social media. One. She can't do all that by herself, especially if this has never happened. This has never happened. So of course they didn't have a real plan in place. If it's never happened, you're not going to sit there thinking, oh, we put these stories out and here come everybody being attacked. They didn't, they might not have thought that. But isn't that also why it's important for black people to work at JDRF so that, Absolutely. okay, for, like for Absolutely. like part of the reason that I work here at Diabetics Doing Things is so that if Rob is, you know, hey man, that's oh, not absolutely. cool. So for them sure. not to hire us and then still try to represent us. zero had... You can't represent something you're not. You so, know I, don't, um... I don't disagree at all. Let me be very clear. I don't disagree. And I think that I've made it very clear that if it was not for the DC chapter, I would have no dealings with JDRF yeah. whatsoever. They know that. I've said that to Aaron. I've said it to Carrie. If it was not for you, ma'am, I would have been like, well, it was nice knowing y'all, catch y'all, don't ask me for nothing. I'm gonna have to go ahead and slide out. But like Tiana mentioned something earlier, it's the little girls that look up to us. It's the little girl, for me, it's the little girls that look up to me. JDRF is knocking at your front door as soon as you diagnose, if you're a child. And I refuse to let another little black girl, I only see a white girl on her screen when they do the same thing we did, do a Google search. I'm not here for it. Now, will they ever get a penny from me? Absolutely not. Will I ever do another walk again? Probably not. But will I sit at your table and to, to represent for Black women? Absolutely. I will sit there like I do every other time in my Black Diabetic Girl shirt and pull up because representation matters. We asked for it. Now we got to pull up. And that's what I'm doing, pulling up. There's there is the difference. I, I don't know if you guys saw, like my job had to do a training thing about, you know, racism, discrimination, sexual harassment, all that stuff. We had to go through this whole training program. To me, I found it entertaining, but you know, whatever. Um, it says diversity is, you know, including people of color, blah, 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 and all of that. But inclusion is having them on the planning committee. If I hear another fucking organization talk about diversity, I'm gonna hurt them because Y'all have tried diversity. How about we get to inclusion? Because y'all want to diversify, but you don't want to include. There's a fucking difference between the two. Y'all can't keep saying, well, we got a diverse feed and we're diversified and all that. No, you're not. Because you're not including us. You can't plan a party to include everyone, but the people planning the, the party don't look like everyone you want to invite. Doesn't work that way and you can't accomplish it that way. And that's what they're doing. That's what so many organizations are doing. Stop doing that. Include us, you know? Like, uh, just like when uh, Diabetes Mind, when I said in my video, like what I was frustrated about, and I said, I'm getting sick and tired of black folks being invited to the table to talk about racism, segregate, all that bullshit, but yet y'all don't have us. Oh, what's your diet regimen? What's your exercise? How do you do this? How do you do this? Why the fuck can't we be a part of those conversations? You know, like, is there a particular way you eat? Like, you know, being black people has the soul food. Have you had to adjust to your eating regimen to work with your diabetes? Like, why are we not talking about those things? But and that no. comes back to what uh, Kiva was talking about with medical racism and a nutritionist that you're going to meet with when you're diagnosed with diabetes at Children's Medical Center of Dallas. I don't know. They could have gotten better, but uh, they're going to give you that approved American diet. Um, 
that doesn't include soul food. That doesn't include cultural food, nothing with curries, nothing with rice, uh, you know, nothing with spices. Uh, and, you know, I think we'll talk, you can hear every single person of color with diabetes would tell you the same thing. All the foods that I normally eat were nowhere near my nutritionist plan for me when I was diagnosed. Um, and those types of things, like as white people, we don't, we don't, it doesn't click with us because we see, oh, like, oh yeah, my doctor gave me, you know, the, the, the same diet I normally, I'm used to eating. Um, and that in know. itself is microaggressively racist. Like in that, that it's like, it's every single system is inherently built that way systematically to oppress us or in a way erase us and our experience, whether it's our name, our culture, our experience with a nonprofit or whatever. And I, I kind of want to ask a question that I have on here is, um, with all of these nonprofits, is JDRF too far gone? Do we need to start our own nonprofit? Are there other nonprofits that are doing a better job? Who you want to answer that first? <laughs> you, you know, what? I want to hear from Tiana just because I haven't heard from her as much. She, she wasn't asking me. <laughs> Hell, I'm just like, can we just move him out the frame? <laughs> Get it wrong. Okay, I feel like I'm on the spot because. I personally have not in my chapter, like Helene said, like I haven't had issues with my JDRF chapter. And to be completely honest with you, they've provided me so many opportunities that I wouldn't have had otherwise. Just like Rob said, like as sad as it is, sometimes you do have to put your feelings aside and think about like, okay, what is my purpose? Like, why am I doing this? Is it for, you know, is it for the mission of X or is it because I genuinely care about the people that I'm impacting and that has been what has driven me this whole time it's like all right Tiana like you got to do it because it's not about you right so you got to like stop being all in your feelings and like you know what are you doing for the people who who can't get up there and talk like these kids who don't have the opportunity to get on a panel and speak with doctors or don't have the opportunity. Like I spoke on a panel with Stanford last week with their healthcare team. And it was about diversity and inclusion. And if I'm not out here like talking about it and like being that voice and leading, then who's gonna do it? So it would be so easy for us to be like, yeah, let's throw all these organizations away because they're not including us the way we want to be included. But in reality, it's like, nah, this is my opportunity. If I'm giving, getting a platform or a chance to go up here and talk, I'm gonna do it because it's not about me. And so that's why these past like, I don't know, five or six months, I can't tell you guys how many calls I've been on. Diversity and inclusion, diversity and inclusion. I've talked to CEOs of most of the companies that own the products that we use. I have talked and talked and talked. And I might not be the best person to talk to you because I don't have, I mean, I called you one night. We talked for like three hours before I hopped on a call. I was like, this is my experience. And I've heard from parents and I've seen kids who truly are struggling. Like, you know, I don't know. I think we have to help. And, and I don't want to say that we can just throw away an organization because they did something that didn't align with our values. I think if anything, that should feel us to like go harder. And, and aside from that, like, I think we, um, not saying that like, you know, everyone has their own opinion on the whole situation. And I don't know, I think I've seen some organizations truly trying to mend things that they see are broken, um, but that's not gonna happen overnight and we'll see when we see it. So I'll check back in in like a year or two and see what's up. <laughs> see, I love you for that. I, 
I don't know. Um, to be honest, I've never been big about organizations and shit like that. I really don't give a fuck, to be honest. I'm sorry, no disrespect, but I really don't. Because <laughs> the only person who's going to be able to tell my story and share my story the right way is me. The only one who's had my experiences and known what I've gone through is me. So I'm the best representative for someone who's been dealing with this for 22 years. I am the only person in my shoes who can deliver that message. Now, could my message help someone else? Definitely, definitely. Like Alexa, she's what, 36 years in? Holy fuck, I would have loved to have seen her when I was just diagnosed. You know, like I'm nowhere near 36 years. So God damn, I would love to have spoken to someone of color who has 36 years of experience because I, d I didn't have access to that growing up. So, but I didn't meet her through any of the organizations. I just came across her because we share diabetes information and that's how we ended up connecting. Same thing with Kyleen, that's how I came across you. Same thing with Kivia, that's how I came across you. Like it wasn't through the organizations, it was just through us telling our stories. So as far as organizations are concerned, I don't know. If they really, 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 really want to, then yes, definitely give them the chance to do better. But I, yeah, I, I don't do anything with JDRF. Um, the Illinois chapter, oh my God, I had dropped them from my acknowledgement even before JDRF fucked up. So like, they had already been dropped. I always did the galas and everything for the Illinois chapter and all of that and stuff like that. One lady who apparently followed me to high hell on Instagram, she was like, oh my God, you need to come and talk and everything and stuff like that because we don't have enough representation. I'm not going to lie in Illinois. I swear to God, you swear to, we all white in Illinois, according to JDRF in Illinois. I'm just saying. But anyway, so she asked me to be a part of it, to talk, to speak and everything, gave me the contact of who to reach out to. She was going to put in a good word for me. That person literally said, well, we already got our speakers, so we're good. And I was like, huh, okay, I'm done with y'all. Like, I'm not even, not even addressing y'all, not even going to y'all anymore. I am so done. Peace out. Talk to you later. Then I had the, uh, I think the executive director reach out to me right before Aaron reached out to me after all this stuff happened. And I remember talking to her. And she was like, well, you know, what, what exactly can we do to be better? And I was like, you ever think of actually going into these goddamn neighborhoods you talk about representing and promoting and sharing the stories for? I mean, I'm just asking, you know, have you ever gone into the neighborhoods? And I told them, I said, because my auntie did this wellness event. Oh, she's going to kill me that I forgot the name of it. But what, it, it was in 2019 and it was in July. And she told me to come and speak. This was at a primarily black high school. It was on the south side of Chicago, and they wanted me to come and speak, not just because I was an aspiring actor, but also because of everything I had already gone through with diabetes, but I'm still here. And she was like, I want you to come and talk to them and inform them about it. You know, they know all about type two, but I don't think they recognize what type one is or what the difference is and everything. Do you mind? So the first thing I did was reach out to JDRF. Hey. I got this opportunity. Would you guys want to come with? Would you guys mind? Blah, blah, blah. Oh, well, here's some pamphlets and stuff you can share. That was all I got. And I'm sitting up here like, 
So you remember me telling y'all about going into those communities and talking to the motherfuckers that y'all talk about you're trying to include? Yeah, you might want to do that a little bit more because you're fucking up right now. And I literally told the executive director that. What they've done after that, I have no fucking idea because like I said, I don't pay attention to JDRF anymore. Like they are completely off my radar. I am so done with them. But if someone reaches out, I will go to the organizations and say, hey, this is an opportunity I was given. Would you want to come and help? Would you want to come and provide information? Would you want to do that? I don't mind reaching out. But at the same time, I'm reaching out with a whole grain of salt or a bucket of salt or whatever, because I have a feeling I know the reaction because of what I was given from previous examples that they gave me. So I don't know. If they truly want to, I think they would, but I I don't know. I don't know if they truly want to yet. I have a question. I don't really know, or I'm not saying I don't really know, but I haven't really been involved with too many organizations and nonprofits just yet. I'm still kind of, you know, figuring everything out because I'm two and a half years in, you know. But I will say this, as far as like when events and opportunities and things like that happen um, and you invite them to come, Aren't aren't they supposed to do more than give just a pamphlet? That I, I don't that's know. What, so that's why I'm asking. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. So that's typically, when they go to events and stuff like that, what do they do? Because I feel like if you have a whole chapter for each or whatever, you know, for each state, city, whatever, I don't know how it works. Why would you not have someone come and represent, speak on your behalf? Because you never know who's in that crowd who might need to just have that moment. You know what I'm saying? Because I think about myself. If I was on the other side of not speaking at an event and sitting in a crowd and seeing someone come talk about the organization, because they would be able to share more information than I would. And no one really wants you just handing them a pamphlet, like truthfully. And I'm just thinking about things that I've done since I've been diagnosed. I spoke at the Dwight Howard camp and that was like family friends, someone that I grew up with. And I spoke at his camp, but I'm like, okay, if I was to hit JDRF up, and this is someone who is a very big influencer, uh, what uh, just won a championship like are you gonna tell me here the pamphlet the handout like it's just like well huh? I, I would argue I, I would they supposed to do more like that what? might go into the whole basis of the representation and the discrimination aspect the south side of Chicago is uh, it's, I'm from Southwest Atlanta, so that's the same. But, it, it's not the same thing, but it, it's like the same but thing. You get, you understand. So, for so them, would you really tell you Exactly. They let me ask, let me let me ask because I think I have a good I think I have a good comparison here. So, speaking to a bunch of students on the South Side of Chicago, what JDRF sees is Dwight Howard, Mister Two Hundred Million Dollars. Yep. Uh, yeah. and he's from Southwest Atlanta, so let's just be clear about this. Sure, sure. But I, I think how many emails have you gotten from JDRF this fall asking for money? Because yeah. I get five every week. Now, so, I unsubscribe, but they unsus- keep somehow emailing. Unsubscribed. It's hard. It's very hard. It's it's hard Email. to unsubscribe, and that's something that I think as an organizational goal, you have is a chapter by chapter. It really is. Um, but one, I'll tell you guys what I sent. What I sent to all my JDRF contacts last year, I sent them like a, an email right around the beginning of the year, and the line was, and I have to give credit where credit is due. Uh, Ariel Lawrence has helped me and her platform, Just a Little Sugar, just to bring 
people of color and black people into the equation, into the conversation where they're not even like, these people are not encountering black people and people of color in the diabetes world at all. They just, it's a very network driven um, community. So people outside the network, outside the friend groups, outside of the one immediate um, you know, friend group are not being considered because that's just not how they, they do business. So I think about this, like the line that I wrote them was homogenous programming equals homogenous attendees equals homogenous results. So if you're only giving one kind uh, access to one kind of person with diabetes, only people who identify with that one type are going to show up. So um, one thing that I've had to, you know, really examine in my life, and I'm very grateful for early in my life, I, I it was very different than this, but in corporate America, Kyleen, how many rooms do you walk into on a weekly basis where you are the only black person or a person of color? All the time. Um, not only is it all the time, it just, well, let me, ref let me take that back. Cause I can't, a lot of people know where I work and I'm not even going to shade my job. Of course, of course. They do an excellent job with, with us. However, it is very rare that you'd see one woman, two black women. Um, walk into a room. I also know corporate politics. And even when we walk in the room, what I say doesn't matter. I can say the same thing that my white boss is saying and don't no one listening to my white boss says it. So it, you got the same people, you know, we're not walking in the room. And I, and I don't mean to put you on the spot from a, no, from okay. a professional perspective, but I, but I want to, I, I want to use that example because on the opposite end, uh, what I'm experiencing now with with you all, I don't experience on a weekly basis, and you know, as a white as a white male, uh, I don't walk into rooms and not see other people that represent me. I don't walk into organizations and not see that uh, because those organizations are run by people like me. So again, it's homogenous. These people hang out with people that look like them, and they're in small friend groups. They don't extend. Um, and I think in a lot of ways, social media can contribute uh, earlier. Anita, you shared the great story of like, we all know each other because of social media. It's an opportunity for connection, but it's also an opportunity to increase the very large divide between people groups, which has never been more pertinent than it has been this year with the election. But also in diabetes, we saw ripple effects from that. Um, we have our group and the group me chat chat and everything and stuff like that. And you guys know, I say all the time, like, look, we cannot go back into segregated times. Like so many black folks are literally this far away from being like, well, fuck white people and people that aren't black. Let's just do our own things. And I'm like, okay, okay, look, hold on, hold on. Wait a minute. We ain't going to accomplish shit if we go that route. Because then why did our grandparents and stuff like that fight for segregation? Why did they push so hard to make us be seen? And, you know, all, like if we go back that way, then what the fuck is the point? Why are we sitting here arguing about being included in the diversity and things like that? We can't go back. We got to find a way to work with these people. Like I tell people all the time, I said the NAACP, when they started, they had white doctors, white lawyers, right? White politicians and things like that because at that time, black folks did not exist in those areas. And in order for them to be successful, 
They needed to go to the people in those areas to help them be successful. We need to do that now. If Rob, you go to an event and you notice everybody look like you, um, excuse me, hold on. Uh, I got some friends I might want to call in because this is not okay. If they approach you, you know what? How many people of color are going to be represented on this panel as well? That We can't get into those conversations. We're not included. You are. That's how we set the bar higher. That's how we change the story. We have to do it that way. You know, when we're talking about like diabetes organizations and they're nonprofits, right? So the way that most organizations have to reach people is through A, online, B, through a doctor's office or word of mouth. Um, and so when you talk about systemic racism and health inequities, when you look at hospitals that are not providing adequate care to people of color, how are they gonna ever hear about organizations that can help them when their doctors aren't giving them that information, right? So an example, like I work a lot with kids who have diabetes um, at the American Diabetes Association camps, right? 88 camps. And I guarantee you there's two kids out of the three or 400 at camp every single year that are black or brown. There's like two of them and then there's me. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, there's no way you guys just aren't he like, you're just not showing up. And it's just, they're not hearing about it. They're not giving access or the information to like allow them to attend the camps. And um, I'll be on calls and people are like, yeah, I, I've literally never heard of JDRF. I have never heard of any of these organizations. And so I think, I think when you peel back layers, you know, it's a little bit deeper than that. It is. And I think even as you dig into like primary care per capita in uh, underserved, you know, minority populations compared to white populations, it's dramatically different how many more primary care physicians there are in uh, high income communities versus lower income and just black and brown communities, frankly. And, and even to the point where the insurance providers are, that are buying up these clinics are going to the places where they can make the most return. So they're investing in communities where there is more, uh, you know, revenue per capita or whatever the metric may be. And they're annexing these other communities, uh, because there's no financial benefit. And I even heard somebody, uh, you know, talking about uh, endocrinologists. What is, what is the financial incentive for somebody to choose endocrinology in medical school? There is none. Uh, it's like deliberately taking a pay cut. So, um, you know, I think it's a, it's, it's really important. I, I also want to be conscious of time um, because you, you guys have been so giving of your time. Um, there's so much more we can unpack. I should have booked two hours for these, I think, but um I want to, for something for us to think about as we close, we talked about the importance of representation. Um, the questions that JDRF asked you in that initial outreach, I think the questions are still relevant. Um, I think they're still right. The fact that they, the way that they shared them and the way that they, in a sense, censored some of you. So Kiva, I'd like for you to maybe start on this response is, how, what would you, if you were asked that question right now, what is your, what is your answer for what does rep representation mean in the community? How can organizations, um, you know, continue to amplify black voices, which is what they said that they wanted to do. Um, and I think we still are here where it's not happening and there's more erasure maybe now than there was before. 
what is what is that answer? And and feel free, you don't have to dig it too deep. But if if you're thinking of what would you write today, what would that answer be? One word: inclusion. Thank you. That's it. Thank you. That's literally it. That's it. Because I I just can't recall ever going to their pages or really yeah I can't really ever recall when I did find it I'm on there like oh it's one of these like just being honest not nobody looks like me not nobody it's just like and it makes you feel like I can't relate to this truthfully like how do I relate to this and me I'm, I'm a pretty brown girl you know I'm a on the darker side so it's like you are beautifully I, dark girl don't you go there don't you go there you and keep you saying keep you saying brown skin girl don't you start listen you know how you have the listen all if y'all probably see my siblings like it's a seven of us all girls one boy he's youngest my mom is mixed with some things but it's like three of us are like really brown and then you have the other ones who are not like they'll ask my mom like Y'all got the same daddy. Like, be trying to figure out what's going on because they literally took after some generations, you know. Like, my mother's grandmother was white with blue eyes. So my sister but me, she has no color right now because it's getting cold outside. So she, everybody always looks at us like, are y'all related? Then they put us next to each other. We got the same nose. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, I feel like we've always gotten different reactions from different people just because, you know, it's a, especially people, I'll just say, for example, guys. You know what I'm saying? Not really, I was like, oh, she a black girl, and they think my sister's not a black girl. But it's just like, we're both this, we have the same mom and dad. But it's just like, she's way lighter than me, you know? So, you know, I, I don't know. I just, it's just, I don't, I don't feel like I can relate. So I don't really get involved with things I feel like I can't relate to because what is the conversation going to be about? Well, and I think you you can look at it and immediately know, like, this isn't for me. I never, you know, but like uh, Kylie said, we want diversity. We want to, we trying to change the, the, the spectrum. So it's like, okay, well, like Tana said, let me get up and do my part. Let, let me speak to, to the girls younger than me. Let me, you know what I'm saying? Let me do my part. But then it's like, I knew I shouldn't have done it. <laughs> but you know, it's just, I hope it gets better. I really do. Like, I can't wait to circle back in two years to see what they really are doing because that'll really let us all know if it was some, um, good shit or some bullshit so you know it's like i'm just i'm just willing and ready to see what's going to happen you know i i do believe they were not prepared at the end of the day but character matters so at the end of the day you could have responded about how you personally felt and like look or, or tell the people i don't even want to be a part of this if y'all not even gonna do nothing like it's something that could have been done because you're still a human outside of working for this company you're still a human at the end of the day and character matters so it's like I just want more to be done and I just want it to be relatable for more people. And I feel like they need to continue to reach out to these influencers and just not even speaking JDRF, all the organizations, reach out to everyone who doesn't look like you. That's how I should look at it. Anyone who you feel like you look at them like they look nothing like me, like they might live a different, you know what I'm saying? Just reach out to them because they come with a whole different community. So it's like, that's when you start getting diversity. Stop picking people that look like you. Stop picking people who everything is the same, like, no, like, choose something different, it could be any race, you know what I'm saying, choose something different, because everybody who has diabetes is not white or black, you know what I'm saying, it's way more, it's bigger than all of that. Man, you, you really dig into it, there's more people with diabetes in India than there are anywhere else combined, you know, My it's just, her, <laughs> is India. her name, her last name is like, Lahia. like, 
and I love her to death. Okay, oh. I don't even like to tell people her name because everybody be trying to go to her because they be trying to figure out how I got my A1C from like 14 to 7 in like the first three months. But I'd be like, listen, she is like the best. Like, and she can relate to me. Like, she relates to me on so many different levels because all her patients are from different sides and parts of the world, you know? So it's like, she's definitely amazing. Like, she's, she always tells me she's a fan of me. And I'm like, girl, you saved my life. I'm a fan of you. Like, but yeah, definitely inclusion and inclusion, period. I love it. Any other parting thoughts, ladies? Um, I'll go. Um, I think the first thing that I always say is diabetes is a one size fit all. And when you start there, then you bring everybody to the table, right? But the other thing that I, you, you Kiva mentioned something that I was going to say. It's not just JDRF. And that think that that's the other thing that I need people to understand. Everybody hopped on, screw JDRF. Now, I don't mean no harm. It's not just them. It's the entire diabetes community, all of the organizations. They're every single organization that we can look up right now can do better. They can all do better. Love T1 International, they needed to do better. They're mm -hmm. doing better. Beyond Type 1 is doing better. Like everybody, they all need to do better. Then you fall back into all of these other, not organizations, but all of these other places where we're spending our money. Like everyone wanted to cancel JDRF. If that's the case, then we need to cancel everybody. Yeah. Because you need to come into my community. Yep. I don't see Nan, not a one of these organizations in any of my communities. I don't see I don't see any of them in my community. Nope. So then that also goes back to if we run away or if we cancel them, then what is the point? So that is why, and I'm, I, I think I can say, speak for Tiana and I, this is why we move the way that we move with some of these organizations because we know the folks that are looking up to us. We know who we know what's out there and no speaking at organizations and panels and conferences isn't for everybody, but the man upstairs, bless she and I to do that work and we do it and we're going to continue to do it because we know who's looking up to us. I never have a problem with telling all of these organizations, you need to get more people that look like me, Tiana, Anita, Kiva, everybody. We need more women. We need more Black women and people of color. But if we don't reach out to them and even say that, it's no, we're not doing anything. It's not for everybody. I spoke up to T1 International. How y'all got all these, how many chapters y'all got? And y'all had they're not a Black chapter leader? That No one's going to come if they don't see people that look like them. Relatable. Exactly, but not even just relatable. Like, I'm not even going to stop to talk to you if there's nothing, because even with that, stop emailing me, asking me do I about struggling with insulin. I've never struggled a day in my life. But they assume because we're Black that we struggle, and that's not it. Like so it. I think for me, my parting words is two people out there. If you're going to cancel JDRF, you got to cancel everybody else. You have to cancel everybody else. Change also doesn't happen in 24 hours or 48 hours. You have to allow change. You also have to be willing to hold those conversations. Emotionless, hold them 
so you can move forward. Because if I come and I'm high up, strong, upset, we're not going to get nothing accomplished. I can promise you that. I, we're not getting anything accomplished. So you might need to take a break and come back the next day. But we have to hold these conversations. If not, then just remove yourself from that part of it and just be a diabetic in the community, helping people on your own. And that was a Kylie's two cents. I love you, Kylie. I'm just saying, I work at Corporate America, girl. I'm hip to the foolishness. Well, I, I think you all have made like great points for not only what organizations can do, but um, Anita earlier mentioned like, you know, I'm on stage talking. I, I have a slide in one of my presentations uh, called Tools of Type 1s where it's, it's Ariel and it says representation on it. And I remember I was giving a, a talk at like the keynote speech at one of these JDRF events. I won't say which one, but I looked around and I looked around the room and I forgot, like, I don't rehearse these things. Uh, I know them by heart and I love to improvise and that's when I'm at my best. So I'm looking around the room and I'm like, okay, they got Derek Thieler is up there and he's handsome. And then like the next slide is representation. And so I look around and I did not see one person of color, not one black person in the entire room. And when I tell you that I've never done worse uh, for a 30 seconds of a presentation than that. It was just like, you know, you could have cut the tension with a knife, but I also learned because I, because what I didn't do was also what Anita mentioned was I didn't ask them preemptively who else was speaking. I didn't ask who I maybe was taking time away from, which is something that is weird and kind of feels because as all of you mentioned, it feels good when a big, an organization that's been part of your diabetes life reaches out to you and wants to work with you. It feels good. But for me, now, especially, but really over the last year, the question, is, the onus is on me as a person who's inside to ask that question and say, hey, uh, there's going to be people at this event that I can't relate to and they need somebody that looks like them. Who do you have that's that? If they don't have anyone, I have great recommendations for you. Um, and I think that's where if you're listening to this and you're like, how do I do my part? That is a good start. I like, I still feel it is it's the lack of education in general. Because like I just told you guys, I had two doctors who knew nothing about insulin pumps or anything and stuff like that. And they had to do the research, but they were women of color. Did that play into why they were not educated about this? I have no fucking idea. I don't know, but it is a problem. You know, I had a t-shirt made. It says triple minority, triple threat. I am a black female diabetic. So... <laughs> I am every minority you could possibly think about right now. And I don't have a problem with it. You know, like I face it every day from acting to modeling to combat fighting to just being alive. Literally, I'm just dealing with it no matter what. You know, I've been, when I left corporate, I left corporate America because it wasn't, it wasn't something that was really in my heart. I mean, I'm good at it, it's fine, but I wanted something that would challenge me and I wanted to make a statement and make a name. And when I was, I spent so many years hiding diabetes and then when I finally accepted it and acknowledged it, I found myself having to educate so many people because, and I took that on me because I spent so long hiding it 
How could I expect them to know anything about it or anything that I'm dealing with or going through if I'm spending so much time trying to be normal? You know, so that was my fuck up and that was my fault. But once I realized, oh, no, I'm a talk. Y'all just going to get sick and tired of me talking about this shit, but whatever. And I started talking about it. I realized that in corporate, I there was nowhere to go with it. And so I decided I'm doing acting. I'm going to do acting, modeling and things like that. And when I tell you the backlash, I get every goddamn day. I can't tell you. Like it is, it is frustrating to me. Um, we were just talking about the stupid diabetic movies that exist that have absolutely no relevance in real life diabetes and shit like that. Yeah, Hollywood, I'm calling all y'all asses out on that bullshit. But anyway, so yes, all of that exists, but it exists because we spend so much time hiding and censoring and trying not to talk about this. I posted um, on uh, our T1D Lifestyles. I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to cry. So when when we lost Chadwick and we lost him because of cancer because he didn't feel right talking about it putting it out there but he caught so much backlash as he was dealing with this problem and I felt like it shouldn't have had to be that way he should have been able to put out there this is what he's going through this is what he's fighting with this is what he's dealing with but he was a black man faced with a disease in Hollywood that was not very accepting of it is this the reputation we want to continue to leave and if that is then we have a problem you know, we can't keep hiding it. We have to talk about it. We have to put the information out there because hiding it makes it easy to discriminate and make fun of and pick at and not understand, you know? And when I when we did a T1D Lifestyles about something that, you know, we miss or diabetes took away from us and blah, 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 and all of that shit, we did this right after we lost him. And I had to sit back and think like, I'm awake today. I get the opportunity to do something better today than I did yesterday. So why the fuck am I a bitch about, oh my God, my hair is like this, or I couldn't afford this, or I couldn't do this. God damn it, I woke up. So now I can be better today. And if I'm blessed to wake up tomorrow, well, you can be damn sure I'm gonna be better than I was today. You know, this is our chance to be better and be greater and make a change. But in order to make a change, we have to be completely and totally and 100% transparent with everything, not just certain things, but with everything in our lives. And that is what I have been trying so hard to do. I'm whether an organization wants to work with me or not, nine times out of 10, they don't want to, because I will call them bullshit if I have to, but I want that, you know? I spent eight years hiding my diabetes. And if I can talk to someone, whether they're an adult or a child and stop them from taking that path that I did, then I've accomplished something better. You know, the pride that I have about being a type one diabetic. Yes, God damn it, I said it. I am a proud type one diabetic. I don't give a fuck. I am proud to high hell. I fought for 22 years with this disease and I am still here, goddammit. I fought through everything. I lost the ability to walk and I am walking. I am dancing. I am fighting. Goddammit, I am proud. And if I can give that to one other person, 
then I've done everything I'm supposed to do. And that's And all. that's exactly why we need to sit at those tables when they hold these summits, when they have these conferences, when they do it all, because women, women, men, anybody needs to hear exactly what you said. That is exactly why our voices matter and we have to keep pulling up and keep holding those conversations because there's somebody in that audience that needs to hear that. There's somebody that's relating to that, but that's why we have to continue to show up and hold our conversations, but do it for genuine purposes. Now, I like the people that were sliding our DMs right after this happened. I won't call them out because they know who they are, but that's why we need to continue telling our stories. People, we just have to keep continuing to we have to. You got to keep telling those stories. For those people who don't want to speak up, because everybody's not open. Everybody isn't that out there tell my story, but that's why they have people like the six of us sitting here to do it for those people as well. Well, and I think you never, you cannot over, overestimate the impact that yep. just one, hearing one thing, like, uh, you know, I, for me, like hearing Anita go off like that was what I needed today. And that's, and I'm here right now. Like, so, I mean, like somebody on a panel, somebody in an audience who didn't see anybody else all day, they look like them. Um, they can relate to that one thing. And I, I want to give Tiana, I want to give you one chance to, uh, to sign off as well before we come to a yeah, conclusion. I know we're way over time, but I just wanted to hop on here. Um, kind of, you know, back what both of y'all have, or all of you have already mentioned, um, you know, representation is important. And where I grew up, I shared this story on my bedded TV a few weeks ago. And I, you know, I talk about it more openly now, but like where I grew up, I didn't see other people that looked like me. And so, you know, for me, and when I did, there was a few black girls in my school, in my middle school, and they always had issues with, oh, your hair is, your hair is only good because you're mixed. And I would get all kinds of stuff stuff from them it was like both sides like I just didn't fit in anywhere right so growing up I always like kept to myself when it came to these topics I never talked about it and so now that we're we're here and we're talking about it and we're talking about like having these opportunities to drive change and to be a change and to openly share stories without feeling uh you know like our voice doesn't matter um it's I think we still have a far, a long way to go, but we're making progress for sure. Um, and like Kyleen said, you know, we have to keep doing this and we have to keep um, working with organizations that may not be perfect now, but maybe in a few years we can make it, you know, more inclusive and diverse how we, how it should be. Um, and then my last take on this whole thing is like, you know, I think, the coolest thing about this whole thing and all of us sharing our stories is that um, we could be like the the start of all of something cool, right? So in 10 years, when there's little girls who are looking up or looking for other people that look for them, hopefully we've been those trailblazers and now they're able to see that. Um, and that's what excites me about, you know, moving forward and looking at the future. So just keep going and keep being yourself is there's only one you I'm like corny I'm a cornball <laughs> but yeah <laughs> uh, you told me like you were at a conference and you saw like three black kids walk in I did tell you, you that walk right out and then you went and asked them why 
and they said, well, because nobody in there, like we couldn't relate to anybody that was there. Well, I remember when Rob told me that story and I was like, hmm. I, and you know, what's funny is I, I didn't even talk to them, but I saw them. And I think um, that was the first time. And I was there with, uh, with Libby from her blog used to be, I have the sugars. And now she's Libby with diabetes. Um, we were sitting next to each other on this panel. I had just gotten my new friends from the diabetes internet that I was so excited to meet. And in this room, I'm like looking up and down. I'm on cloud nine, like one of the best days of my life. Like this project that I had like came to fruition. It was this awesome thing. And I look across and I look down and there's no, but everybody's white. And I looked at these two kids in the corner, brother and sister, and they were alienated from the rest of the group before we got there. But there was nothing that I could say that was going to bring them back in that somebody else hasn't already said in the room. And that's because we need more representation, more real diversity, like real inclusivity, not DNI as a, as a, as a banner, as the, the hot corporate, corporate America topic for 2020. Uh, real inclusion, real access, real, uh, real systemic change. And I'll never forget those kids. Uh, they, they had a prof profound impact on the way that I look at advocacy. Uh, it's not always cut and dry. And I think I'm the first to admit, I'm not perfect. I've not done everything right. Um, what I'm trying to do is continue to get better. Um, and, and, you know, just learn from, from where we've all been. So, uh, I, I want to thank you all Yes. For thank this, you guys. for coming here and being a part of this. Uh, this I is amazing. Say, Before talking about changes. So Rob, you have been called out quite a few times. <laughs> like, oh no, he was. I <laughs> People was like, why, why are you not sharing people of color and blah, blah, blah. And all of that. Like he had been called out a couple of times. So you talk about now and we have you. And it's showing that if you give someone the chance, call them, talk to them, mention it to them, show them where they're, I'm sorry, no disrespect, fucking up. Um, you give them, I, no disrespect, he knows I love him, but you're giving them the opportunity to be like, you know what? Oh shit, I didn't think about that. And yeah. then, now and, you're here. And I mean, you know, we all started these like create, I remember the first day on your blogs or on your shop or on your Instagram and you were so excited for what it was going to, and then all of a sudden you get to a point like, oh, you get what you always wanted. People are, people care about it. People are part of this community. And then you totally realize that you've alienated an entire segment of your people. The only way you can't erase the past. Uh, and I think, you know, we've, we've talked about that enough today, but it's not what you, what you do is who you are. So you can say whatever you want, but eventually you're going to have to look back at that track record and say, I have made an improvement. I have, I heard, I hear you. I need to do better. Um, and I think that's when I go look back, I'm trying to be like, you know, I haven't done everything always perfect. I don't claim to be perfect, but if I show improvement and I can uh, stand by and be authentic with that, that's, that's all I care about. So um, again, I, you know, Anita over the years, the first time we chatted was almost four years ago. Um, which is crazy to think about. Um, and, uh, you know, Tiana, you were talking about camp. I, I was met you at that camp. Um, and so I, you know, Kylene and Kivia or Kiva, I haven't met you in person yet, but we will one day once they open the world back up. But, um, I, yeah, again, I want to thank you all for your time.